I'm Romy Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by Stephanie LeBlanc-Godfrey, who is both the global head of community inclusion programs for women of color at Google, and also an entrepreneur in her own right. She's the founder of Parenting Backwards. Stephanie, welcome to our show. Thank you, Romy. I'm so excited to be here. So excited to talk to you. We've had a couple of conversations already, and they are so much fun. So excited to have you here. Uh, To start off, would love for you to talk to us about your background and how you got to be where you are today at Google. And I just have to say, I love your background because I feel like we were like six degrees of separation along the way. Yeah. So my story actually starts with the Gateway 2000. So for those of a certain age, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I know. (laughs) And for those that aren't a certain age, the Gateway 2000 was a PC company that had these like cow spotted markings on all of their products. Yes, you remember. Why cows? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But anyway, the Gateway was my first computer at the age of 10. And that solidified my love for computers. And I made the claim that I wanted to be a computer engineer and so said, so done. My mom put me in every summer program and after school program that had anything to do with science and technology. Got my degree in electrical engineering at Stevens Institute of Technology and then entered the engineering field right after graduation. I actually had gotten an offer from a financial company that is in the same graveyard as the Gateway 2000, (laughs) Lehman Brothers. Um, (laughs) Yes. And so enjoyed my first experience there in terms of huge company, huge brand, but it was a lonely experience for me. I was in what they call the back office. So although I got to go to the main stage office in Times Square, I spent the most of it in this little area of New Jersey, what they call the back office. (laughs) Even the name doesn't sound inviting, right? No, can't imagine it was pushing the forefront of technological innovation. Right, right. I mean, it was just the typical like back office engineering for all the fancy stuff that the finance people did in Times Square. And so it was just a lonely place. I didn't have any peers or leaders that looked like me. I didn't have anyone tap me on the shoulder and let me know, you know, what it could look like to kind of continue my career in this space. And so I left. I spent time just kind of trying to figure out what was next. And it feels like I left in the darkness of night. There was no one when I did leave that said, Steph, wait, engineering is huge. It's going to be big one day. (laughs) Their loss, but I think that was your gain. Yes, yes. And so I pivoted into like, what's the balance of my data and number geekiness that I love, and then also being able to interface with like, regular people? Oh, that sounds so bad, right? But like people that aren't dealing with numbers. (laughs) all all day long. And so digital media was space. I worked for Forbes and NBC and Fox News digital companies doing yield and analytics. And that was basically forecasting how much ad space was on a site that we can then package and sell. 
maybe doesn't sound sexy. I loved it. I love the number crunching and I love trying to figure out what we can sell to make the most money for our site. And I love this because I've worked in yield also. Yes, there's only a few of us. So the fact that we found each other is kismet. And so I did that for close to 10 years. And I looked around and I was like, I think I have a career in digital media, but this is like not the career that I signed up for. I just sort of ended up here. And it was in that realization, I was like, okay, I've got to figure out something that I want to do that aligns with my passion, right? So not only what I'm good at, but also what I'm passionate about. And that set me off again in another sort of two-year journey of like figuring out myself and what that was. And DNI was that space. And that was before DNI is the huge thing that it is now. But it offered me this opportunity to rewrite the beginning of my career for someone else to create space for a person of color, for a Black woman to enter their career and not feel so alone and so isolated that they walked away from the dream that they had since they were 10 years old. Yeah, yeah. And that's my mission in the work that I do now. That's great. And so tell us, what is that work that you do now? You're at Google. Yeah, so my title is a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) The Global Head of Inclusion Programs for Women of Color. And so what that means is a few things. So one, it's creating space for women of color to be authentically themselves within corporate walls, right? We often hear, you know, can I bring my full self to work? Not always. You're not always going to be able to do that one-on-one with a manager. You're not always going to have that team dynamic. But there is a place where it can exist within the corporate space, right? A company has to put that investment to have someone like me create that and create that for women of color. So that's one major piece of my role, creating programming for those women so that we can retain them, right? So we don't get the leaky bucket of hiring, but we're not keeping them there. Um, And the second piece is with all of that knowledge and the direct pulse that I have on those communities, how to take that information, those learnings, those lived experiences, and bring that to the business side. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a product, a service, a training, how can I have these conversations with those teens early enough in their ideation phase as they're looking to build a thing and say, I want to help you make this the best thing possible. Let me tell you about what some of those users are experiencing so that you can incorporate that into what you're building. So whether that's focus groups, whether it's me just kind of giving my subject matter expertise on it, but bringing folks to the table for these teams to build product services and trainings that will not inflict harm, that will not trigger the very communities that they're supposed to serve and really be inclusion and diversity focused first so that you're not backpedaling when something goes live. And Right. Well, I think it's great to know that Google is investing in that. And I guess, you know, I'm interested to know on the kind of first part, which is ensuring retention and engagement from women of color at Google, what are some of the things that you've found that work? What are the reasons that women women of color, women into technology are staying? Yeah, so 
I have to give credit to a few things that we're doing. One is having the conversation, right? That in my entire career and all the companies that I've worked for, having race-based conversations, having culture conversations was not anything that you heard of, right? You're here to work, you're here to do a job, and that's it. And the culture of Google and so many other tech companies and startups and now the other big companies that are joining is to create space for this conversation. There isn't this box of your professional life, right? Your personal things permeate that and affect how you show up. So one is creating the space for it. Two is on the data side, looking at the data and letting that drive where your investment goes. And so my role is a testament to that, right? Every year since 2016, Google has published, they call their diversity annual report Mm -hmm. that talks about their hiring, representation and attrition numbers, the overlay of race and gender. And so that data point itself shows where the attention needs to be, right? Women of color, people of color are not being hired and retained at the same rate as white men. And then internally, we also have a internal employee survey, right? A pulse check on what the community feels, what their sentiments are. And so even in that, inclusion, career progression, these are also spaces where there needs to be an investment. And so I encourage all companies to look at those two pieces of data to drive where they should be focusing their time and attention and person resources to really drive change. Yeah. So courageous conversations and using data to drive investments, the right investments, material investments. Great. And I think just to add one more piece to that, right? We often look at like, okay, let's just put a mentorship program or a sponsorship program and like a, a woman's leadership program, all these things. And while those are critical and very important into the professional development of those demographics, it's also important to look on the other side, which is manager training. Hello. Yes. (laughs) And I feel like that is a lost art. I feel like uh, at many companies, that's really fallen away. It has. And that for people who don't even want to become managers, that's the only way to climb the ladder or to make more money. So you're forced into a role that you don't even want, right? And so the onus is on a company not only to invest in their talent, but to also invest in the managers that manage that talent. Because you've heard, right? People don't leave a company, they leave a bad manager. Right. And so what can we do to really invest in the competencies of managers so that they can create the space for honest, open and complex conversations that will allow this space for psychological safety that has the feedback that the person needs to kind of grow in their career for the person to share personal things that may affect how they show up in their role for a certain period of time. So there's not all this ambiguity and assumptions coming from both sides that lead to, you know, all of the problems that we see exist between uh, people and managers. Certainly. Clarity. So here it is, 2020. And between August and September, over 800,000 women left the workforce. Women of color were much more significantly impacted. Have you seen that attrition directly at Google? And how can we rebuild from this? How do we reach back 
to help women who are out of women of color who are out of the workforce and get them back in. Yeah, I mean, this pandemic has certainly exacerbated all of the issues that we have been talking about in this space, right? Um, development, flexibility, childcare. And so we're seeing the impact of all of those things in the form of just. I can't even like bring out the word like this disruption disruption yeah right that will impact generations to come and I think that's the most personally painful thing to me that the 856,000 women that walked out in September there's a percentage of those that may never rebound or rebound at the same trajectory that they were on which then impacts either the children that they were caring for or the parents or family members. So there's widespread community impact that happens in that space. And look, we're all the ones that are still working, right? We're trying to figure it out. The stress levels are at an all-time high. Unfortunately, we can't get rid of the partner or the kids. (laughs) And so the the job has to go. The job has to go. That's the only lever that we have at this moment in time. Yeah. So you mentioned mentorship. What can and should mentors do right now to help for the women who are still there and who may be struggling, maybe burnt out or exhausted? How can we help? Yeah. At the very minimum, I think it's having just an outlet to vent and talk Mm -hmm. and and strategize. true. Yeah. (laughs) we're all in these team meetings and we're like, guess what I cooked today? Or guess what I made, right? Like it's not fun anymore. Maybe for the first (laughs) couple of weeks, but like really passed quickly. (laughs) It passed quickly. (laughs) And so having a mentor, having uh, what I call like your tribe of folks that are on your career journey, they're not your girlfriends. They're not the ones that you drink wine with, although wine can be included in these conversations. But these are very pointed conversations with folks that you talk about your client meetings with, that you talk about your one-on-one with your managers with, that you talk about what your goals are for the next week, month, or year, that you have specific career-related real conversations with them so that they know all the ins and outs and in these moments where you're kind of like a deer in headlights and don't know what to do, they can mirror to you what you've shared with them and help you come up with a strategy. So in those moments where you forget who you are, don't know what to do, they can be there to help you be that strategic decision maker, to feel all the feels, and then come together to figure out a plan for moving forward. I love that. And that's great advice on both sides, right? For mentors to take that approach. Don't like just jump in with the advice, but play it back and kind of let, well, what do you think you should do? Yes. Yes. We're not a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) We don't play one on TV, right? But we can just have real conversations and kind of guide it in a way that, that makes us both feel empowered. Yes. Great. So now I want to ask you about parenting backwards. Tell us what is it and what made you want to add a little more to your plate because you have this job at Google and free children. (laughs) Yes. So I am a mom of three and out of my, my mom crew, 
my oldest is older than most of their kids. I've got a couple of years on them in terms of starting my parenting life. And so they would often just come to me asking questions from anything about like, what stroller should I get to how should I have a conversation with my manager about returning to work? I am like an endless pool of random parent information. (laughs) And so knowing that, and then also the attitude of which I come to these conversations, right? I mean, we get opinions from our doctors. They're not eating enough. They're eating too much. We get opinions from our parents. You need to do this. You should do that. And it's a lot. Everyone's always just throwing up their opinions on us. And we're trying to figure this out. And that doesn't help. And I think the way in which I created space for these types of conversations to happen is just something that they picked up on and loved. And so they would keep telling me, you've got to talk to more people. You need to scale this. You need to put this out there. And so in January, three o'clock in the morning, I had this like epiphany of like, okay, it's going to be called parenting backwards. And you know, this is what it's going to be about. And so I wrote it all down and I've been on this journey ever since. So parenting backwards is an investment for professional women, for professional parents to invest in their personal life, their parenting life with the same fervor that they do their professional life, right? So as a professional, we've got the mentors, the sponsors, the conferences that we go to, the books that we read, we have all these things. What does that look like in parenting? (laughs) Not much, right? Yes. yes. And you see me, I'm nodding vigorously because I'm like, yes, I want this. I need this. Yes. And so this is, I love to create spaces for just really robust conversations. And so this is what this is, right? When you look at uh, being an intentional parent, it all starts and ends with you and not in a way that puts this pressure that you have to be perfect, but there are three things. One, you take your kids on your journey with you. So as you're reading the self-help books and getting your finances together and trying to be a more empathetic leader and like all these things that we're trying to do, that we can find age-appropriate ways to bring our kids on that journey with us so that they're exposed to it, that they learn it a lot earlier than we do. And so we're setting them up for success. A second part of that is looking at you and the you is not only you yourself, but also you, your partner, your parents, the nanny, the babysitter, like all the people that are in your kid's life. How are they showing up? How are they talking? What are the words that they're using? Because our kids are watching Mm. and taking it all in and then spitting it right back out at us. And we don't always like what they spit back out at us. And then we have to kind of do the self-work of like, ooh, where'd they learn that from? Is that from, from me? And what do I need to do to fix that? So I'm mirroring something better. Or is it someone in your life and then you need to make a decision on how to have that conversation or removing that person from your kid's life because of the impact that they're having? And then the third piece is on the investment within yourself. You know, as a parent, we say we want our kids to be, you know, financially savvy and be able to express themselves and all of these things, all of these grand things. Do we espouse any of those things? Yeah, right. (laughs) 
Are we killing it in the game of finances? Maybe, or maybe not. So then how can we put all this pressure of wanting them to be a thing, wanting them to be this thing that that we are not with all of the knowledge that we have? So under those three premises, it's just taking conversations to do the inner work for ourselves and the journey that we are already on to becoming the best versions of ourselves and just connecting that with the everyday connections that we have with our kids, using that as moments to be self-aware and to be present. And we're not always going to hit it, by the way. (laughs) Every moment, you're not going to be like, I've got the right answer. But if you make one moment out of the day that you can impart some wisdom to make a needlepoint movement, that's the goal. Because then you become more self-aware and then you can just start making itty-bitty changes that you want to make. I love this. And I have to say, it really deeply resonates with me, not to make this about me, but (laughs) because, you know, I feel like in my professional career, I have a lot of experience I can draw on, right? Like I was a manager before I was a director, before I was a vice president. And at each step, I had this experience to draw on. Not so. I was one day, boom, I was a parent. Exactly. (laughs) Right. And and oddly, being a parent of a nine-month-old doesn't really prepare you to be a parent of a nine-year-old. It's a whole separate set of challenges. Exactly. And so I find myself in these situations that I've just, I've not been to school for this, right? I have not had on-the-job experience of this. So I really love your concept uh, and sign me up, please. Yes, absolutely. And that's what we need to do. I think in the corporate space, you said it yourself, you have so much to draw on. How can we then be strategic about taking all of that experience that we have in the work world and parlaying that into helping us with our parenting life? These aren't mutually exclusive, right? This is very just intertwined within each other. And so we just have to create the space to have conversations to make those connections and then start to do the work. Great. All right, Stephanie, I'm going to ask you our fun questions. Are you ready for fun questions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. What's your favorite car song? My favorite car song. Okay, so this past summer, uh, Beyonce came out with Black is King, and we would listen to the entire album each day, taking my kids to summer camp and returning home. And on the last day of summer camp, we were like, okay, we're never going to listen to this album again. (laughs) We were all done with it, but it was like amazing. You'll come back, but yes, that's awesome. That's a great one. Yes. Excellent. What's your favorite way to practice self-care? And I'm dying to hear this considering you have two jobs and three children. Eating well and eating fancy. Mm. So my eating well is, and you see me drinking right now, Daily Harvest green juice because I don't even have time to make my own green juice. They come frozen every week. And so that's my eating healthy. And I'll put the chia seeds and the flax seeds and the honey and the lemon and like add all the things to it. Sometimes it tastes good. Sometimes it doesn't, but I feel really good and healthy. And so then mentally, I feel like I can attack the day because I've just had this healthiness. And then eating fancy. So pinkies up. I love seafood. And so during COVID, There's a restaurant in Miami called Joe's Stone Crab. Sure. And I ordered from there probably like every four to six weeks and would have Stone Crab overnighted to me. That's amazing. And 
it was beautiful. And I justified it because like, now I don't commute. Now I'm not like drinking after work or doing all those things. I've got the money and no vacations, vacations, no anything. And so I would have the stone crab. I would wait for my kids to be doing something, watching a movie. And I would have that with a glass of my favorite alcoholic beverage and just be in my space. I love it. You were literally treating yourself. Treating myself. Wonderful. Yes. That's so great. Who is a celebrity you would like to have dinner with? Top of mind right now, Shonda Rhimes, because I'm listening to her book called The Year of Yes. Um, And although she's not like what you would call like the celebrity, she is awesome, also has three kids and is doing all the things. And she just, if you listen to her audiobook versus read it, you just want to be her best friend. Love it. (laughs) I think I'm going to go do that this afternoon. Yes. Great. So and my next question was, what book would you recommend? So it sounds like it's Shonda Rhimes. Any others? Yes. Oh, and this is so appropriate for this time. There's this book called American Like Me, Reflections on Life Between Cultures. And it's written by America Ferreira. And it's a compilation of about 30 or so stories from celebrities, actors, athletes, artists, and non-celebrities alike sharing their experiences about being American. And so this book is so awesome. The stories are so poignant. They're funny. They will make you cry. You will connect with them. But the goal of it is showing that being American is not a monolith. Um, And this book just really highlights that in the most beautiful of ways. I love it. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. All right. This is the hardest question I'm going to ask you, Stephanie. So this is a fairy god boss thing. What we have observed is that women in general are not as good at taking credit for our accomplishments or or just bragging. Men are really, it comes easily to men in a good way, right? They can talk about what they've achieved. So I'm going to put you on the spot, ask you to please brag about you. (laughs) Yes, this is always painstaking and embarrassing that it's painstaking. But I am, I'm a connector. When I talk with anyone, my wheels are always turning about how I can connect them with something that they've mentioned that's of interest to them. I'm an awesome tribe builder. My friend said it best. She's like, Steph, you are a collector of good people. I love connecting with people and staying connected with them, which is extremely tough. But something that I strive to do, where even if we haven't talked in six weeks, eight weeks, a couple months, a year, <laughs> I'm like, hey, remember, remember me? And I'm also a really good thought partner. So if you come to me and say, hey, Steph, I'm going through this, or I want to do this, or, you know, how should I take on this? I can brainstorm with you like no other. I have this, maybe it's clairvoyance that can like, see the path for you so clearly more than you can see it for yourself and can get you to a place where you feel really good. And I always do this when I have these sort of like thought partner conversations where I'm like, let's just sit in the fact that we came up with a plan. We just came up with a plan for the next week, the next month, but we know where we're going. Yeah. You know where you're going. We feel good, good. Yeah. and it feels good, right? Yeah. Like, let's yeah. not be like, just be on the go, go, go. Let's just take this moment and really sit in the fact 
that we came up with a plan and you know which way you're going. And so I love doing that and I can't do it for myself. <laughs> it is like that, isn't it? It's like bouncing the checkbook. Right, right. So yes, those are my, those are my three things. Well, first of all, you did a great job bragging and taking a credit for what you're great at, but I would agree. And I'm honored. I think, can I say I'm part of your tribe? I'm honored yes. to be part of your tribe. Yes. Thank you for having me. You are a great connector. So to close, what is one piece of advice you'd leave our audience with? Ambitious women, maybe they're having a hard year. They probably are. <laughs> What's the one piece of advice you give them right now? Yeah, I will repeat what I said earlier. Find your posse. I call it my posse. It could be your crew, your squad, whatever you refer to it as. But it's that distinct group of folks that are with you on your journey, right? And it could be, you know, a squad that you have for your work journey, a squad that you have for your parenting journey. But you need a group of people that you can be really vulnerable and honest with in a way that pushes you forward. Yes. And that's a huge distinction than just like a group of girlfriends, right? Yeah. This is a very intentional group of folks that's looking to really invest and pour into each other and push each other and keep the momentum going. And so find that, be intentional about it, get out of your comfort zone to get to that space. And if anyone wants to learn more about how to do that, reach out to me. I've got steps for that. I love it. <laughs> yes. How should they reach out to you? LinkedIn. Yeah. So LinkedIn, of course, I have a website, www.imslg.com. And then also on the gram, I underscore am underscore SLG. And so any of those ways, and we can set up time to have a conversation. I also am running courses now to bring together small groups or one-to-one -to, -one to go deeper on these conversations around finding your posse on two on the parenting backwards method yeah. of really being intentional about the way that you parent. Fantastic. Stephanie, so great spending time with you. Thank you for inspiring us and all the work that you're doing to help other women, women of color, parents, humans. It's greatly appreciated. And thank you, Romy. Thank you for creating this space. You are a creator of spaces for these conversations, right? And it's so needed to bring together these diverse perspectives and just to commiserate and to move forward. So thank you and the Fairy God Boss team for creating this. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy God Boss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time.